You are now tuned in to Westworld FM, a podcast about HBO's Westworld. My name is Alex. And my name is Nick. Today we will be discussing Season 3, Episode 2 of the show, titled The Winter Line. We will not be discussing the next time on teaser at the end of the episode, but we will be spoiling everything through Season 3, Episode 2 of the series, so please pause and go catch up if you're not current on the show. You can find more episodes of our podcast at westworld.fm. We're also westworld.fm on Twitter, and you can send feedback to westworld.fm at gmail.com to tell us what you think of our show and share your thoughts on HBO's Westworld. Send us corrections, observations, or anything regarding Westworld or our podcast. If you enjoy this show or any other show on the Midwest Podcast Network, please consider heading over to patreon.com slash midwestpodnet and pledge as little as a dollar a month to making our network even better Special thanks to Jason K and Gojo who have pledged at the level of $10 per month. Uh, there's also a shorter link. It's mpn.bz slash Patreon if you like typing less letters like I do. <laughs> Nick, how are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic. That's good. I am I am loving the quarantine <laughs> lifestyle. Is, is, that, is there sarcasm in there or is it... Uh, yeah, like... Like... Uh, like 15% sarcasm. <laughs> I know. I think I feel the same way. <laughs> <laughs> like it, it, it sucks for all the obvious like survival reasons that it sucks. Yeah. But like, in a in a way it's kind of great. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a very little baby daughter at home, as you know, and this has actually afforded me the opportunity to, opportunity to spend a lot more time with her, Absolutely, which is kind of amazing. Yeah. And, um, I'm enjoying it. That's at good. least that aspect of it. Yeah, I'm I'm sure uh I'm sure it's it's nice to be able to spend time with people. It's always I'm sure it only gets harder to be at work and away from the people that you love when you have like a young baby with you, so. Yeah, it's it's honestly it's drag and I was getting used to it. Like we were kind of getting into a routine where we were like, okay, this is just when I will see her and when I won't, but it's a bummer too cuz by the end of the day they're kind of toast. Yeah. And I was getting home, you know, five, five thirty, sometimes even six. And then she goes to bed like an hour later and mm-hmm. it's just like super depressing some days. So this is kind of wonderful. Yeah. And that's literally the only upside. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it's a good upside to have at least. Yeah, it is. It's pretty amazing. All right. Well, um, I do have one little thing for the corrections department, not so much a correction, but I did, uh, come to learn after listening to other podcasts and things last week, I glossed over the fact that the, um, there was a missing shareholder at the Delos board meeting. And Mm. for some reason I was somewhat oblivious as to who exactly it was when they were referring to the fact that it was probably William, the man in black himself. So I did not connect those dots whatsoever, but uh, other people that are smarter than me did. And um, oh, oh, you mean the the point where they say it depends on what he says, or yeah, they something s- to that effect. They say it depends on what he says, and then Charlotte Hale or whoever is in her body is like, uh, he's left a machine proxy in his place, and there's like a little computer tablet thing that's like basically mm. the the bit and bite from Tron that says yes. yes. And that's about it. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah. And the other thing that I didn't catch about that is like, of course the machine proxy agrees with her because she and Dolores can hack and modify whatever they want in the technological world. Right. So as we saw with the beginning of last, last week's episode. So there was quite a right. bit. I didn't catch in that little span of time there, but uh, yeah, no, I wanted to get that on the record for those of you who 
may not listen to other podcasts and things about Westworld. So that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, for some reason, I, I know this is wrong, but my initial instinct was that it was Ford, but I was like, I know that's not right. It's been too long. Yeah. Well, and I also, for some reason was of the mind of like, I, I was really curious if the other co-founder, if Serac was also like in the shit at Delos as well, if he was on the board, you know, but I, I don't know why my mind went there. So, um, but I'm, I'm glad to have an answer for that and that it wasn't really a mystery, even though I was thinking it was right. <laughs> yeah. I think there's going to be a lot of that this season. We're going to think there's mysteries where there aren't, and we're not going to realize there are mysteries in certain places. Yeah. Thankfully there's a lot of eyes on it from Reddit and, uh, yeah. podcasters and all kinds of stuff. So I will be uh, this, this week I have started at least paying attention to a few other things. I'm trying to make sure that I don't listen to any other podcasts before we record ours. Cause I don't want to like unknowingly mm. steal other people's ideas and things like that. So, all right. I think we can get on with the recap. Yeah. Sounds good. Let's do it. Uh, all right. We open up with Maeve quickly finding Hector in world war, war world with her Hector. Uh, man, it's really hard to say war world. <laughs> I'm finding out as I say these words that I typed war world war world. Uh, Hector sneaks them out of town on the promise of delivering secrets to the allies, and Maeve doesn't completely realize that something's not quite right with Hector. As they escape, Maeve tries to use her reprogramming powers, but they do not work on the German officers. They still manage to get away to a plane that Maeve thinks Hector, Hector wants to use to get out of the parks, but Hector refers to Maeve as Isabella, tipping her off to the fact that Hector is not woke anymore. <laughs> They get ambushed by German officers, and Maeve ends up shooting herself to end back up at the body shop. Uh, what'd you think of our first glimpses of War World? I really, really liked it. Yeah. <laughs> I, in my notes, I think I had uh, War World is the new is the new best world. Uh-huh. Um, I really, really loved it. I loved. Uh, they definitely were making fun of dramas. I feel like of that era and that like subject matter and there was one particular moment that really killed me and it was when they were sneaking around the perimeter of the little square with like the italian soldiers and that when the way he was kind of guiding her and like holding her around the hips as they were running i was like snorting and laughing because i was like this is exactly like i could see like carrie grant and and grace kelly doing this exact thing like it just was perfect yeah uh, uh, the the whole spy kind of thriller vibe that they were going for was really cool and it just kept ratcheting up and up in terms of the kind of absurdity of it like the the car when he uncovers the car and it just it was this very over the top uh presentation that w- was a perfect kind of skewering of movies like that so i thought it was i think they're having fun with kind of making fun of poking fun at genres at this point and paying homage but in like the right trappings yeah, there was part of me that for a moment in my rewatch, I got kind of pulled out of it because I was thinking about the fact that like, uh, God, what's what's Hector's actor's name? Rodrigo Santoro. Yes, Rodrigo Santoro is playing this part of a character who doesn't know that he's not real, that is also playing the part of the fact that he's like a spy in the in the World War Two, like it, like. There's so many levels deep of these performances that these people are doing mm-hmm. that it's just kind of mind blowing to kind of be like, how do you um, assemble yourself into that 
that space you know like obviously maybe they're not thinking about it as much and he's just like oh i'm being this archetype that's in the spy movie in in you know wartime spy kind of thing that's going on but Mm -hmm. at least there's part of me that looks at it and is like man they really like figure out such a brilliant way to situate themselves as these characters that are like kind of playing three different characters at once you know oh yeah it's it's incredible stuff and it's um it's hilarious how well he does it. Mm-hmm. Like he just, he, he totally carries that sort of exotic leading man vibe in a, in a really convincing way. Yeah. And that's kind of like the, the, one of the really fun things that I think about it now, we've got like these two Rodrigo Santoro performances in Hector Escatan and, uh, whatever they call this guy, a Toro, something like that. Mm, i don't remember yeah it it was like very offhand remark at one point on in this first scene and that's about it but between those two and then also i think was uh i think hiro yuki sonata was kind of his stand-in in in uh shogun world last Mm. last season and so kind of comparing those three performances like you said they're in three completely different genres of movie but yet they all kind of they all were played by Gregory Peck or somebody like that, you know, like they all could have been played by that actor of that time, you know? So it's, it's very, it's interesting to see them play with those types of things. Yeah. It was a, it was a really cool sequence. I I loved the way it was shot too. Yeah. There was some, the one thing that kind of bothered me a little bit was some of the effects work in this, in this whole episode, but I don't know Mm -hmm. if you noticed that like, muzzle flashes and smoke from guns and things like that wasn't looking particularly great yeah during the whole uh freezing overloading overtaxing the system sequence yeah it was pretty apparent but the effect was used well so i definitely forgave it yeah Uh, that was like at least at that point i'm kind of like okay the simulation is like kind of falling apart and so mm -hmm. maybe i can forgive some of that but like even in this first escape sequence when they're getting shot at and you see puffs of smoke and things like that coming out of the guns, I'm just like, none of this looks real. Like it was, it was kind of strange to me. And I don't know if it's like I'm watching on a 4k TV and I don't know what they've uploaded to HBO now and and stuff. I don't know, but it just, it it looked like it was probably going to get a couple more passes by the time it makes it to Blu-ray. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, I wonder if there's no way it was by design, but it'd be kind of funny if they were like, "Oh, movies of this era look like this, so this is kind of how it's gonna look." Yeah, that I mean that would be funny. But yeah, I don't know. Like it could have just been budget constraints or something like that, or maybe I'm just maybe I think I'm smart, but I'm not. I don't know. But <laughs> could be anything. Um, but yeah, I just, did love the. Uh, I loved Maeve's line. Of it's as it's as empty as the safe you used to chase. Yes, the wonderful line. Yeah, that that kind of representation, like the symbolism of all of it, of the idea that, like you know, uh, Lee Sizemore has copy and pasted his entire story from mm-hmm. three different worlds, <laughs> and like made little tweaks here and there to make it work. It seeing all of that kind of be even reiterated once again in war world but not necessarily over the top and not to the point where like it's been long enough since we were in shogun world that it's not like oh they're doing this again it just it feels very interesting to have 
kind of Maeve. Maeve is right there with us. She's seen it three times, you know? So it's it's a very interesting uh, kind of juxtaposition between those three storylines. I wondered to myself as I was watching it, uh, so if War World were... I think it's safe to say that War World is not an actual park. It's simply something that was created for Maeve to inhabit. Um, I don't know that it's actually a park. It's hard to say, but either way, that's a conversation we can have later. Yeah. I was just thinking to myself, like, man, when it first started, I was like, what is the appeal here? Like, why would a why would a, a real person want to come into War World? And, like, what would they get out of it? And you made the, the remark and sort of the joke last week that it's to either kill Nazis or to be a Nazi. <laughs> yeah. And I kind of thought, yeah, that's probably it. But I also, at first, I was like, I don't get it. And then once she and Hector were kind of in this flight mode and it was like, their their kind of chemistry and their romance was swirling through the air. I was like, oh, this is it. It's for like a guy to to rescue a a, a beautiful, you know, uh, woman who's who's trapped in this horrible situation, or vice versa for a for a woman to be rescued by Rodrigo Santoro. And I was like, okay, so like romance seems to seems to be kind of the linchpin, at least from the perspective we're given in this episode. But uh, you know, violence certainly, you know, you'd have a, a different kind of violence than you would in Westworld that would attract a whole other type of person, I think. Yeah. But it's interesting because the pace in Westworld is slow, Mm -hmm. right? Like you get off the train and it it can hit the gas quickly, depending on what sort of scripted events you are witnessing. Um, But like in, in war world, I got to feel like you're always on edge. Like there's no, there would be no downtime. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, (laughs) and like, when they get on the plane, do they let the guests fly the plane? <laughs> like, <laughs> right. You know, it's probably, you know, I'm sure the host is always ready to be like, I'll take control, but you can be my co-pilot or whatever they'd say. But like, <laughs> it's just kind of like when the stakes get that big, you're kind of like, how the hell could they really, like, that's why we spent yeah. what, maybe an episode. How can you control here? it? Yeah. So. Yeah. I don't think it's actually a real park. I don't think that, uh, that it existed and maybe it did. The only thing that makes me think it does is the is the outside of the show stuff that they do on the Delos Destinations website because the War World is w- listed on there and the Raj oh. is listed on there and Shogun World is listed on there. Okay. Weirdly enough, Medieval World is like still like a scrambled signal on the on the website the way that they show it, and then the fifth park because the Raj is number six, I think it's the newest, but the six, the fifth park is still unknown at this point in time interesting so um i think i think it is real but yeah who knows i mean it it could be because this is all a simulation too maybe this is just the you know disney world they've made the ride in vr and now we got to figure out how we're going to actually implement it who knows at this point right yeah but um no it, it certainly gives a lot to think about the fact that we get to see this new park with totally like a totally different as you said like a different scale of action or pace of action it's mm-hmm. certainly uh something to to think about but yeah any other thoughts on the opening no i liked it it was cool i hope war world is an actual park and we get to see it again sometime yeah absolutely i man it would be incredible if like the finale of the show or something this is just like crazy battle through all the parts of all the different parks or something like that it's, like, it's thor the dark world but on <laughs> Westworld. yeah and done well thor the dark world world <laughs> 
Yeah, that's, that's world number five is <laughs> done <world>. done well. <laughs> <laughs> you know that was the that was the one sequence of that movie that was actually pretty awesome. That's true. That is very true. However, it came out what like two thousand. 13 i haven't seen it since so yeah. i could watch it today and be like ooh. no i think i watched it not that long ago before Endgame, and and it's, it still worked it that sequence still works the rest of the movie is also still bad but yeah that's a pity what are you oh, gonna well. do all right next up we see another divergence on what i believe is the rehoboam interface it's in the mm-hmm. south china sea bernard arrives at westworld by water and he traipses through the park and sees that Escalante has been burnt to a crisp. Um, kind of weird that he can just pull up on a boat and walk in. <laughs> yeah, I, I was kind of thinking, <clears throat> excuse me, during that sequence, uh, I was like, this reminds me a lot of Jurassic Park. Like, this feels like the premise of a Jurassic Park movie. Yeah. Yeah, it's Jurassic Park 3, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, kind of. But I mean, just the idea that you could just... Be like, oh, we're going back to the island. Yes. Local fishermen, take me there. <laughs> you know exactly where it is. It's like weird it Michael Crichton DNA is still stuck in there somewhere. <laughs> yeah. You know what? I guess that's, yeah, that's that's the common factor. Yeah. <laughs> um, the, the other thing, uh, people on the internet are saying that like, oh, you know, they made remarks about the QA team being pretty bare bones at this point. That's why they have the no-face drones in the mesa kind of scoping out security but i don't know it still seems very weird to me that there's not like a huge fucking fence or something out in the middle of the sea that they've put up yeah seriously that if you know where the island is you could just come to westworld yeah yeah um just makes me think of all the times where people are like what if they step outside and it's mars (laughs) it's like no i know (laughs) well this is this is a point where, <clears throat> well, I shouldn't say it was during this point, but I thought of this sequence later in the episode when I st- began to wonder if Bernard was in a simulation himself, ah. because it's all very easy. Yeah, it? that's true. Yeah, and this this sort of theory bubbling around in my head is reinforced by Stubbs and everything Stubbs. Yeah. But we'll talk about that when we spend 20 Stubbs minutes just is, talking about Stubbs. Stubbs. Is, well, yeah. Stubbs is very Sizemore in this episode, right? Yes. It's so convenient yes. for what's going on. That's great. I didn't even think of that at all. That's awesome. Well, and he's the... he's. I mean, Stubbs is always a really fun, kind of slightly bro-y character. But in this episode, he's like the ultimate wingman. He's like... Yeah. It's like almost comical and over yeah. the top how like last action hero-y he is. For sure. Yeah, seems a little convenient and a and a very perfect foil for a, a, a guy like Bernard. Yeah, absolutely. Either way, I'm gonna enjoy the shit out of it. So for sure, I'm just glad fine. that he's back. <laughs> that we can oh, yeah. see more of him. Me too. And he's just extra stubs now. Yes, he's really sardonic and and <laughs> it's it's beautiful. Suicidal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, he just wants to. <laughs> I just want right, to be done go, with this. I, I'm going to go retire myself <laughs> just constantly. All right. Well, more on stubs in a minute. Um, oh yes. The charred remains of Escalante, I thought was pretty interesting because the, the set of that city burned in the California fires last year mm-hmm. or two years ago. I can't remember exactly. I think it was last year. Um, but kind of interesting that they incorporated that a little bit just to kind of show it in ruin. Like the the shot the shots that you see of the church, if you just Google 
Westworld set burning or something like that. You can you can see the picture like the pictures that they take are of the exact same thing. It's not they didn't have to they didn't touch it at all. They just put Jeffrey right there and you know. I hadn't even th- thought about that. That's that's brilliant. Yeah, like it, it was just a very it seemed like a very like effortless effort, effortless use of it and kind of like makes me wonder if they had to rewrite anything or if they kind of paid attention to that and 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 it you know they were like oh we can use that or how they kind of naturally got to that decision to show it that way um but very interesting and kind of a cool way to use like a sad turn of events uh like like, because i remember kind of being like oh man that sucks that that set's burning like hope they didn't need it for season three (laughs) but it worked out okay clearly so all right uh next up Maeve awakens in the body shop and tries to get help from former allies Felix and Sylvester, but the latter calls security on her. Just as Maeve is about to lobotomize herself to not deal with life as a host, Lee Sizemore reappears to cover for her in front of the security team. Maeve can't believe that Lee is alive, but they manage to miss his heart with the six shots that hit him, and Maeve wonders why he put her in Warworld, and he explains to her that it's the closest to the forge, and she might still be able to spend some time with her daughter. Um, fantastic to see Simon Quarterman back as Lee Sizemore. I was not really thinking it would happen. I thought he was he was gone and dead, dead. And it turns out that he is. But it it was a very clever way to bring him back into the fold. Yeah, it was really cool. I loved it. Uh, it was it was clever and it was kind of sweet, kind of endearing, kind of sad. Like there was a it was very complex in terms of, I mean, just watching the simulated Sizemore come to terms with what he was was amazing well and the fact that like it still kind of illustrates the difference between Dolores and Maeve in the sense that like you know there's no part of me that would think that Dolores would have enough of a connection with the person like that to kind of be able to look at them and be like oh you're not acting right or you're different or this Mm, isn't who you were like so it, it just kind of you know, fleshes out the Maeve character a little bit more. And, and they had like a bit like his exit last season was great. It was like a very heroic moment of him being like, you got to go get your daughter and I'm going to save the day here. And Mm -hmm. to give him that moment when he's been writing it for somebody else so many times was like a really beautiful and felt somewhat unearned for (laughs) who he was as a person in the show. Right. So, I really enjoyed uh, seeing him back, even if it was just like a fleeting moment. But more on that. Were you suspicious at all, right off the off the top? I was n- in this scene. No, no, I bought it hook, line, and sinker. I was like, "Oh shit, he's back!" <laughs> and and you know, I think eventually I started getting there, but it was kind of as the show starts giving you more clues. Um, you know, kind of right before Maeve starts figuring it out, but right. Um, what about you? Did you see it coming? No, I didn't, which is funny because the opening sequence, I saw it coming really early. I was like, oh, she's not really, this isn't real. And like that one, I smelled it very early on, but with Sizemore, no, I didn't, didn't, uh, put it together. Yeah. I was, I was until later, probably right around the same time Maeve started to, as soon as he started confessing his love for her, I was like, nope, nope. Yeah, well, I, as soon like I got it like milliseconds before you because as soon as he was like, you know, it's he, like 
the weird thing is, is that Lee has no reason to know what went on in the forge, right? Even like, like no, like literally nobody outside of the forge besides like, it's just Bernard and Dolores that should be aware of what happened in that room. Mm -hmm. So nobody could have communicated to him what happened there other than what they could have inferred by like what the purpose of the forge was in the first place. Right. Yeah. So like for him to kind of be like, Oh, it's what you did here to get your daughter in the Valley beyond, you know, like as soon as he started asking very pointed questions about it and being like, well, why wouldn't you have done that? And things like that. I was like, mm, this is, this is getting fishy. This isn't right. Somebody's trying to learn something here, but uh, yeah. So, um, I liked their repartee, of course. There were some that when he talks about how they missed his heart, and she's like, cunning of you to make a so compact a target. Right. <laughs> very, very good. And his line about the most nuanced character arc is that of the goddamn Panzer tank. <laughs> <laughs> very, very good. Perfect. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that simulated Sizemore may not have actually been Sizemore, but it was Sizemore. <laughs> yeah, they, they nailed him pretty well in, in most respects. Yeah. It was when they tried to repurpose him to use him for something that they failed. <laughs> mm -hmm. but, yeah. Uh, all right. Bernard returns to the replica of Ford's family cottage to poke around in the lab underneath. He finds the busted tablet and walks back into a closet full of abandoned Bernards to find Ashley Stubbs with a gunshot wound. Stubbs is still alive and definitely a host. His final mission was to get Bernard out of the park, so when he completed that mission, he tried to shoot his explosive vertebrae. Bernard replaces Stubbs' C6 vertebrae with one of the abandoned Bernards, allowing him to keep to leave the park if necessary. With Bernard back, his job is not done. Bernard wants to stop Dolores, and to do that, he needs Maeve, and Stubbs is going to take him to her. Um, did you did you happen to watch the like behind the scenes after the episode? No, I didn't. So they actually mentioned uh, in there that this time all of the glitching that was being done was all Luke Hemsworth. So they didn't use a computer necessarily to help him out. I'm sure there was some audio kind of tricks that they did to like replicate the sounds that he was making very precisely. Oh. Wow. But it was it was apparently all him. They didn't digitally enhance him at all like they have like they did um Delos in the last season as he was glitching and things like that. So Holy shit. Yeah, <laughs> so he did a very good job. Even watching it the second time, I was like, God, that's pretty incredible. And yet we can't get convincing smoke from a gun barrel. <laughs> yeah, right? We could tell the guns to act it better. Yeah, maybe he should just be the smoke, too. That's true, yeah. Give I him think... a, vape, a vape pen off, <laughs> off camera. <laughs> what if they hired people to make the smoke out of guns? <laughs> That'd be an amazing... Uh, documentary <laughs> they, featurette they, yeah it's a christopher guest movie about this <laughs> dude that has this gun that's connected to a vape so he can be off screen as he like blows the the smoke <laughs> out of the gun <laughs> beautiful um Stubbs is back hell yeah it's wonderful as we've already discussed um it, it wouldn't have been the same without him no it's very true it's the it, he he's kind of this weird like it, it just feels very Westworld. Like, we get being here with Maeve and having Jeffrey Wright back in the park and having Stubbs there. It's all, like, 
this is the reason why I had tipped my hand in our discord and said that I really fucking love this episode this week is that it just like got me back into the shit. I was like, man, if this was like, if this would have been episode one, I probably would have been like, no man, I'm ready. This. All right. We've got more Westworld. They're going to be out of the park now, but it's all good. It's very weird. Yeah. It's, um, I think it's pretty strategically placed as episode two, definitely to, to reassure everyone. Like this is still, this is still the same flavor of show and uh you know you're still going to deal with all these characters in this in this setting yeah yeah i know what you mean like it definitely felt episode one felt like a, a westworld 2.0 sort of like a different you could show almost or al- almost like a spinoff yeah and uh this definitely felt like classic like i, I just said classic westworld episode in the, mm-hmm. in the discord because yeah that's how it definitely how it felt it may be an interesting return to form even if the six episodes that are going to follow are more like the first one, right? So, yeah, I think we'll get a healthy mix. Yeah, that's true. Which I'm pretty into. Entirely I like, them bo- I like them both. Well, and because this episode was Dolores-less, I was very, like, they're doing the kind of Game of Thrones thing of, like, we're going to visit with these people this episode, and then we'll be with these other people in this episode. So I'm kind of curious if we will still continue to spend some time with Dolores and Maeve apart and then like converge later on, or if it's just going to be whatever the story dictates at this point, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure that's the case, but I'm curious what the lay of the land is from this point on. I have two questions. Well, it's, it's kind of a two part question. So when, when do you think Stubbs figured out he's a host? Do you think he has like an an if then statement built into him where like if if Bernard is if Bernard leaves the island then Stubbs awakens to cover his tracks kind of thing? You know, I don't necessarily think that's the case. There's actually there so there was a line at the end of season 2 that he gives I think Charlotte Charlotte Dolores. Mhm. I think there there was a moment at the end of season two that made people think he's probably got to be a host because he like he lets her get away. Yeah. Do you think he knew he was a host, though? Like the I whole kinda, time? I kind of think he did at that point. Like to to me, I think there was a point where Ford sat him down and was like, shit's about to get fucked. You're a robot. Deal with that also protect Bernard and get him out of here. Like, I think that's, I think that's probably how it went down just from my general feel of how things went. But do do you feel otherwise? Do you think there was like, do you think Bernard left the park and he got like the push, push notification? It's like, Hey, you're a host. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I just, I was just thinking back to like season one stubs and that to me didn't feel like, someone who knew they were a host. Oh no, I, I fully agree with you there. I like, you know, I wouldn't doubt that in season one, I don't think Luke Hemsworth knew that he was playing a host. I don't think the character Stubbs knew he was a host. Right. Um, Yeah. That's what I mean. I guess that there was some sort of conditional state statement within him where something had to happen in order for him to become like Ford essentially switched him on because the way he refers to Ford as like, the, the big man or the boss, yeah. yeah, it suggests like he was suggests to me anyway that he was was made to become aware rather than discovering it of his own, you know, volition. 
Yeah, no. But I, I was just curious as to when, because it's it's kind of shocking to have him just be like, yeah, no shit. And he's just like, suddenly we're like, oh, okay, Stubbs is the host and he's cool with it. And moving on. He's not having the crises that everybody else is having. Which brings me to my second part of my two-part question. <laughs> I guess it's not a question so much as this further makes me believe that this is a simulation that Bernard is in. Hmm. Hmm. I I would wager that perhaps the real Stubbs is actually dead or is not dead, but is a human and is in the real West world still serving whatever function he's serving. Uh, and that this is just a, a quickly scripted thing for Bernard to be like, Oh, cool. All right. A, a friend who I know and who's going to be an ally and who is good in a fight. This is what I need. He's the yin to my yang. That's very interesting. Uh, yeah. I mean, It'd be really weird if they, like, you know, this simulation is, like, here's this Stubbs that is completely manipulatable by Bernard. Like, they they make it... The, Fast-forwarding a little bit, the part where Bernard changes his prime directive on him yeah, at the end of the episode, to me, rang so really weird with the themes of the show. Mm-hmm. You know, you would, you would think that Bernard would be able to respect the idea that, like, I'm not going to reprogram you because you don't deserve that. Um, so the fact that he's just kind of like, I'm going to make you serve me. And then Stubbs is just kind of like, well, you could have asked. And then, you That's know. That's what I mean. It's so bantery. It's yes. so, it's so lethal weapony. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I was, I was kind of like, this doesn't feel real. This feels, <laughs> this feels like fiction. That's very interesting. I think, I think your theory is entirely possible. I don't know if I fully subscribe to it yet. Um, I don't know if I do either. I yeah. just am having fun teasing it out. Well, and if, like, the... I, well, all right, let me feed some more fuel into your fire. What if the reason that he keeps, like, diagnosing himself is because Dolores is trying to figure something out? Like, what if he knows something that Dolores needs to know? Mm. So the reason that he's like, I gotta run my antivirus every two hours... Uh, is him mining for information because Dolores is making him do that. Interesting. Yeah. Or because unconsciously he knows that something is trying to be extracted and maybe he doesn't know what it is. Or, yeah, I don't know, because in the first episode when he's like, has anybody tampered with my system? Yeah. And then he's like, and they say no. And it's, he says, would you lie to me? And they're like, no, of course not. It's like, well, but, and, and then his whole, his whole thing his whole thing this episode or, or the thing that he explains as he sits down with the tablet to probe himself, he's like, Dolores created me and I don't know what she's allowed me to know about myself. Yeah. True. Like, yeah. God, so it's complicated. It is very complicated. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> maybe, maybe we're overcomplicating it, but who knows? No, we'll see. I don't think you could do that with a show like Westworld. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it's great to have Stubbs back. I'm glad to see him here. Uh, you know, the uh the middle Hemsworth as we may refer to him. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't know if we had another did we was it middle Hemsworth? Oh, I don't know. Cuz we know Maybe Liam secondary. is lesser. Yeah. Yeah, we have greater and lesser. So yeah. what would what would be greater lesser and uh the Goldilocks Hemsworth? <laughs> yeah, um, I don't know. Yeah. You know, he might become the greater Hemsworth, depending on what the season does, because he's just <laughs> so endearing and awesome. That's true. That's very true. I mean, it's a tall order, though. 
Chris yeah. is Chris is definitely he's pretty horse. incredible. Yeah. Yeah. What did I say? Oh, I said I just watched Rush, and uh, he was awesome in that. Yeah. It's weird that I had took me so long to watch that movie with two lead actors who I really like and respect. But uh, yeah, I wanted to check that one out too, but I never got around to it. I've, so. Oh, you never seen it? Oh, it's on HBO. No. I highly recommend you watch it. Okay, I'll have to do that now that cool. we all have free time. Yeah, there you go. Always good to see a Hemsworth. Yeah, well, some Hemsworths. <laughs> Always good to see two out of three Hemsworths. <laughs> well. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, anyway, where yep. what, what's next? <laughs> Maeve wakes up again in War World and wastes no time getting into Hector's sports car. She drives it into the woods, and Hector tries to get her to continue on as she tries to get Hector to join her. They part ways, and Maeve meets up with Sizemore to hop on horses and head into the desert at the edge of War World. Um, one thing you mentioned something uh, previously about being able to know that something was off. Uh, in the beginning of the episode, mm-hmm. um, one of the things that if either of us had watched season two more recently, we would have realized is that Hector did go to the the Valley Beyond, mm-hmm. and those hosts should be pretty off limits. Yes. So that that was kind of the one thing towards the beginning of the episode. If you knew that, then you were probably like, "What the fuck's going on here?" But fortunately, neither of us did the homework. That makes a lot of sense. Yes. So I, yeah, I, I was unaware of that until I read it on Reddit, I believe, and um, that was pretty. It, it, it's, it's interesting. It, it, I don't know. I feel like I appreciate the experience of not having known that. <laughs> right. But it's also good to know in retrospect as well. So. Um. Whoops. <laughs> yeah. Um. But yeah, no the. The fact that the forge is like right by War World seems weird to me a little bit, and that there's no like real separation between the parks. Um, but yeah, I don't know if you had any thoughts on that. I mean, because it's a simulation, I I think it's all subject to not necessarily be a, a one for one with the with the real world, you know? Yeah, it's like the it's like Los Santos being L.A. Right. Right. Yeah. That's a. Yeah. That's actually a weirdly good example. <laughs> <laughs> they kind of compress it down to get the big beats, but there's like gaps and things that aren't there that you won't notice at all. Right. So, yeah, that's interesting. That's a good thought. Um. Next up, Maeve walks into the forge with Sizemore and wonders how to turn it on. Sizemore grows increasingly inquisitive about what happened in the forge, but Maeve doesn't have to. Doesn't have the answers because she wasn't there. Sizemore tries to play it off like he's in love with Maeve, but Maeve realizes that it's not actually Sizemore, just a copy of him. As she mentions this, Sizemore starts to glitch, indicating that he may be a defective host version of Lee. Meanwhile, Bernard and Stubbs find Maeve in cold storage, but there's just one problem. Her chestnut is gone. Um, Getting back into the forge was cool. I think it's weird that the blood was still there, even though this is like a fake version of the forge. Um, but yeah, this isn't the meat and potatoes of the sequence hasn't quite happened yet, but I just loved the, this is like, it starts to turn and you're kind of like this size more is weird. Yeah. Um, yeah, he, he began behaving oddly and I was like, "Mm, no, this ain't right. And it's kind of cool that it just kind of like, I don't know the, um, it's like I said, the questions that he starts to ask to me just felt off. 
and 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 it felt like they were somebody else's questions and i don't know how he did that or how the wording conveyed it or what it was but it worked really well for me so yeah i mean like she kind of seems to identify too the real lee sizemore would not have given a shit he wouldn't yeah. have been he wouldn't have asked those kind of questions because he wouldn't care yeah he was all about the story right you yeah. know so. and his and his perks mm-hmm this is also the um so later on in the episode uh Sirach mentions that they realize the person causing all of these anomalies in Rehoboam is um is Dolores earlier that day before Maeve kills a bunch of his people and I think him learning that comes from Maeve having that epiphany or revealing that information to the fake Sizemore in this scene. Uh is my because she says Dolores Abernathy. I got you. yes, yep. yes. She exactly. she's able to identify. Yeah. So I think you've definitively answered this question for me, and I I thought of it earlier today, um, but I thought uh, earlier I answered it as well. So the person who has Maeve in here and is monitoring her and and has arranged it all is Sirach, right? I, yeah, I think it has to be. Okay, I think so too. But like during the episode, this was the biggest question that I was really excited to find out the answer to, and it seems like it is him. Yeah, uh, yeah. No, and well, okay. So I have a little we, bit of we know we know based on episode one that Sirach is a real person. Yes. Okay. Right. Yeah, and and the thing is, um, I have a little bit of outside information just because of the fact that like when I watched the the behind the scenes stuff at the end of the episode, they talk about filming in this old cement mine or cement mine, cement manufacturing facility. And it was designed by this famous, I think Spanish architect and, or maybe he was Italian. I don't know. We really do our homework on this podcast and that's why we get paid the big bucks. But, um, there's a particular there's an architect who's who's facility like he he reclaimed this cement mixing factory and made it into his office and that's the where they film the Ciroc scene at the end and when the maintenance drone robot is running outside with her um with her chestnut that is the same that is the 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 exterior of that location so i think it's Ciroc <laughs> Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. <laughs> yeah. TLDR. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Long walk for a short uh short question. But yeah. Um any other thoughts about that moment? I mean, there's still a little bit more to come here. I can just keep going. Uh yeah, no, I'm good. Let's keep going. All right. As Sizemore starts majorly glitching in front of Maeve, she realizes that it's not just Sizemore who isn't real, but in fact the entire world around her. At the same time, the aspect ratio shifts from 16.9 to 2.35 to 1, which is Westworld cinematography language for a simulation, just like the Cradle and the Forge in Season 2. Meanwhile, Bernard and Stubbs head up to the elevator to find an active terminal to track down Maeve. Um, yeah, I was, I was nerding out. As soon as the aspect ratio started changing, mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, "Oh God, this is Westworld." <laughs> yep. But um, it's just the even even just like the weird glowiness that they put in the background to kind of show the world um shifting in front of Maeve's eyes, or just kind of her kind of like letting the veil drop. Um, it, it just 
I thought it was a very cool uh, effect. And oh, yeah. It was beautifully done. And it's yeah. funny because Westworld tackles so many things that we've seen before. And I, I always have to put on the disclaimer that I don't think that's a bad thing uh, at all. Yeah. Because they do it so well. But, like, them kind of really tackling kind of at least what's, what is recognizable to me as both the Matrix and, like, Inception, sort of, at yeah. the same time, is so logical that I was like, why the f- why didn't I think of this before? Like, it's such a, it's such a brilliantly uh, progressed uh, tool in the show. Yeah, like, the fact that they seeded it in with, like, the cradle last year, the, like, mm-hmm. the idea that we can run these simulations to figure out how to best entertain our guests or whatever they're doing, right. you know, or trying to perfect the James Delos copy, like it just makes so much perfect sense that you're just kind of like, man, I don't know how I never saw that coming. Exactly. Yep. It's, it's so it's the best kind of surprise where it's, it's obvious. And afterwards you're going exactly. You're saying like, how did I not realize this? How did I not think of this before? Yeah. It's perfect. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And so the other I guess the other thing is there's a moment later on with Serac. Actually, the last moment of the episode is Maeve attempting to kill Serac and Serac kind of being like, "Hey, uh, I hope you realize that our our uh, our interests are aligned. Like we should be working together here." Mm-hmm. I think this scene seeds the fact that, like, to me, that they they were running the simulation not to necessarily like maybe he was running it to figure out that Dolores is the one fucking around with things, but also they want to know where she sent all the Delos IP, right? Mm-hmm. Like they want to know where the Valley beyond is so that they can retrieve all of that data. And so Maeve wants to get there to be with her daughter and Serac wants it to get that information back. Right. Or at least maybe he's being paid by Delos to figure that out or who knows exactly what exactly that's going on there. But Maeve finding Dolores answers both of the, both of their problems. He can kill, like she can kill Dolores for him. And, uh, and also this mission allows her to reconnect with her daughter somehow, be it however, whatever terms Serac is going to be okay with. But this, this moment here, him asking, you know, where did you send them to is kind of one of those things where it's like, all right, this must be a big piece of information for the person who's running the simulation. And it's, it's interesting to me that what you just said uh, about her with her daughter, it's, it's kind of funny to me that considering Maeve knows what she knows that she still, that that matters to her. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think by the end of season two, you know, Maeve realizing that like her daughter going through the Valley beyond is probably better for everybody involved. Like, Maeve like stops everybody in order to help her daughter get through still. Right. Mm. So, you know, there's gotta be like on some level, I wonder if Maeve is like, maybe if I could get to my daughter, then I could like open her mind and make her woke and make her realize that we were once Mm. something, but at least like Maeve, like we've seen that be Maeve's driving instinct since the end of season one, where she gets off of the train to go and, to go and find her daughter instead. So it, it seems to be her driving force, but yeah, I agree. It does feel a little bit dissonant for her to kind of be like, this is still what I want, even though I know that I, that she doesn't recognize me as her mother. 
anymore. Right. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, all right. We'll continue on. Maeve and Sizemore head back to his office in the Mesa so Maeve can find a way out of the simulation. Sizemore is, still isn't convinced that it's a simulation, though. Maeve takes a look at the code of the simulation using Sizemore ta- Sizemore's tablet and tries an experiment uh, having two behavior texts discuss the square root of negative one. During their discussion, Maeve throws a ceramic bust into the air and it hangs briefly before crashing to the ground, showing it is possible to overtax the computational power of the simulation, and she devises a plan to do this on a larger scale back in War World. Uh, I enjoyed the sequence quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, Nick, do you know what the square root of negative one is? I don't, but I figured you would know that either <laughs> either the answer or that this is like a famous... Uh, I can't think of the word for it. Some sort of famous uh, paradox. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not so much that, but the idea is, um, you know, we have rational numbers and irrational numbers, but outside of that, there's these numbers that are uh, imaginary numbers. And this is like calling on a section of math that you may have run into in high school at some point. And it's mostly just like a, Hey, isn't this fun kids? I don't know that there's any super real practical applications of it, but basically the square root of negative one is also known as I, the letter I. And if you, you can make complex numbers by making it five plus four times I or something like that. And that's known as an imaginary number. And so the idea that you're giving this, computer that thinks the way that humans do and can only look at rational numbers this problem of hey i want you to do this operation of the square root of negative one and that causes the computer to hang (laughs) is like Mm -hmm. you know it's like a very it's a nice shorthand way to be like this is something that'll stall this computer and i'm glad that they put thought into that because i feel like any other thing would have been like oh what's the super hard equation but it was really this simple question of what's the square root of negative one yeah it's it's a brilliant solution like i i i'm not a mathematician at whatsoever and the but i immediately recognized why this was so clever and why it was working and i was thinking like man if it were me in her position i would have been like how do we make everything explode at once? Because the simulation won't be able to render that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, yeah. I instead mean, you of know. instead of the brilliance of a simple question, literally mm-hmm. just ask a question, and uh, it's it's fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. Like, and and that's the thing for her to kind of like she clearly is able to peel back the code and kind of be like, what what exploits can I have here? It's like, you know. Like your, your, how do I make everything explode is like the brute force. Like we're going to throw everything that we can at this to try and make it mess up. But hers is just kind of like, I know this exploit and here's the vulnerability and we're going to get in this way immediately. So it's kind of, it's fun to think about it that way. For sure. It was awesome. Uh, Lee's dialogue about, uh, you know, realizing that he himself has been plagiarized and then, uh, Maeve responds back, never say that the universe doesn't bend towards justice. <laughs> <laughs> pretty pretty incredible. Glad yeah. that the, they're still ripping on Lee, even though he's dead <laughs> at this point. I loved watching this Lee grapple with what was going on. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. And watching it, him go full, like, good guy. Like, 
Yeah. Does that make sense? Like he, he he becomes like the purest ally that he has ever been and was capable of ever being in the mm-hmm. in this form. It's kind of this like it's who you knew he would have been if he would have survived, right? Like if Maybe. he would have gotten through that. Yeah, but that's even true. so, humans tend to default. You know. Yeah, that's true. That's it, true. It what it reminded me of, and this is <laughs> this is something that literally only you will appreciate. <laughs> It reminds me of the way that James Purefoy is and John Carter by the end of the movie. Okay, yep. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. he's suddenly like a switch flips and he's just like this this pal. And in the yeah. whole movie, he's been kind of antagonistic. And then suddenly by the end, he's like all in on the good guys. Mm-hmm. And it's really enjoyable. And yeah. It, it reminds me a lot of that. Yeah, no, that's that's fantastic. It it he He like, he just, he gets to kind of like, I don't know. I guess it's a weird thing of whenever they've tried to make these human copies of people, they don't quite understand. Like the, it, that, that was the thing that really caught me off guard was the idea that like, if they did recreate size more, they've been unsuccessful at creating the AI version of James Delos. Like why would this size more work necessarily? Mm. But to me, it, it just kind of smelled of like the size more was built for a very specific purpose. And, like, it's why he keeps repeating the fact that, like, oh, I was just trying to get you to your daughter and things like that. Because he just, like, there's, like, a very limited section of, like, what he understands about who he is and why he cares about Maeve and things of that nature. So, it it just kind of, like, it's like they reconstructed the Maeve, like, the, the, they probably built that size more off of the moment in Maeve's brain where he sacrifices himself, right? Yeah. And so it's like every every choice that he makes off of that is based off of that moment and to kind of like have him on top of that trying to rationalize the fact that he's not a real person. It's just a lot of a lot of fun for him to have. And somehow crazily the right person to give it to even though we weren't expecting him to come back. <laughs> right, yeah, exactly. It worked. Yeah. Uh, and even like the bravado that he shows when the two techs come in and Maeve asks her question and then Benny, the, the, the tech is like, what storyline is this? And then Lee is like, female codebreakers helped win World War II. Learn your fucking <laughs> history, Benny. Fantastic. It was. It was perfect. And he just is, again, he's all in on the good guy's side. He's like, I'm going to do what I do best. I'm going to do it for you. Yeah. They they walk in and there's no part of them that's like, hey, deal with Maeve. It's it's like I'm gonna help Maeve do mm-hmm. what she's doing right now. Yeah. Um. All right. Bernard and Stubbs head into the offices of Medieval World to find a tablet. After a terrible but short Game of Thrones cameo, Bernard uses a tablet to locate Maeve, but it says that she cannot be located and her control unit has been removed. Stubbs postulates that Dolores did it, but they both realize that they have no idea why Dolores does what she does. So Bernard uses the tablet for a full system scan while Stubbs fights off QA. We see glimpses of Arnold memories, Bernard memories, and Dolores in the forge reading Liam Dempsey's book. But Stubbs wakes Bernard back up to get moving before the scan completes. Uh, I mentioned there was one thing that I didn't like about this episode, and it's the Game of Thrones thing. Yeah. Well, yeah, it didn't, it didn't, is that, is that one of the dragons from Game of Thrones? So that, not only is that one of the dragons from Game of Thrones, which I, that I would completely forgive, but it's the fact that Dan, Dan, uh, 
David Benioff and D.B. Weiss are the two techs that are in that room. Mm. That alone, to me, I was just kind of like, no, like, I don't want to see those dudes ever again. <laughs> yeah, nobody does, really. <laughs> so, you know, it, it, maybe I'm just falling on the, like, oh, they ruined Game of Thrones. I don't really give a shit about that. I just don't. It felt so cute to me that I was like, this isn't what I want out of my Westworld. Yeah, I hate to, to phrase it like this, but that's beneath Westworld. Yeah. Yeah, and even in the behind the scenes, I think Lisa Joy talks about it. She frames it as an indulgence. And I was like, yeah, that's certainly what it was. Like, there's no need to do that. Um, Unless it's suggesting that Game of Thrones in its entirety was like a beta test for a park. And then they're like, nah, this is shit. Scrap it. <laughs> that's kind of been the joke or it's something <laughs> that people were talking about for a long time. It's like, what if it's Westeros world? Oh. But yeah, that that makes me want to vomit. And makes me sad. The one thing I will say, there Maybe is that's so, medieval world. Yeah, it could be. Um, the dialogue that they have with each other, um, Dan what or DB Weiss mentions that he's he's uh, he found a a buyer, and it's for a startup in Costa Rica, which is they have stated is their mention of Jurassic Park. Yes. It's their, it's their like, kind of little wink and nod towards Jurassic Park. So, uh-huh. two, two Jurassic Park references in this episode of our show, not theirs. Yeah. But maybe kind of theirs a little bit, too. Only, only one of theirs. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, anyway, I'm not going to throw the baby out with the bathwater because, you know, like the little stupid thing to get sidetracked on. Bro, Westworld is over. (laughs) This podcast is done. Done. Um, I did not love Stubbs' choreography with the axe. They're playing it as him, like, having his arm shot out, which is one thing, but I don't know. Like, dude, your brother's Thor. You can figure it out. Yeah, I kind (laughs) of stopped paying attention to it because I just was like, whatever. (laughs) Yeah. I was like, I think Stubbs is just in, again, it was like cartoon action. Very true. Mode. And it just was so over the top. I'm like, dude, there's guns everywhere. Why is he grabbing this stupid axe? But again, like, yes. it's just, it's, <laughs> I think it, it might not, it might not be real. It might <laughs> not be on, it might not be possible. on the level. Yeah. They're unable to find Maeve's chestnuts, uh, suggesting she's offsite. So very interesting, uh, for them, at least, uh, we figure that out by the end of the episode. Um, this does seem to inform the fact that Bernard knows Dolores is after Liam because they do show like there's a shot in those flashbacks or the flashes that she's going to grab a book that has Liam's name on the spine that's in the yes library from the end of the season. I don't know if it was there in season two or not. Be interesting to see if it was, but they could have just added that shot in. Yeah, for sure. And it gives Bernard his next breadcrumb to follow yes it's awesome i did have in my notes that i liked uh t2 stubs because it's a lot like the sequence where arnold has to hold off all the cops while uh miles bennett dyson is trying Mm. to destroy all the uh terminator parts you know it's been forever since i've watched t2 and Uh, i need to watch it again i we have discussed previously on other midwest podcast network shows that i think terminator 2 is the best terminator movie um Totally respectable position. Yeah, and I, I love it quite a bit. And I understand people that think Terminator 1 is the best uh, 
Terminator movie as well. But uh, I, my memory of that movie is so rosy. I'd be very curious to watch it again, but I feel like there's no way that it won't. Like, I don't think it's going to let me down. I think it's going to be perfect still. So. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It, it never gets worse. It only either stays the same or gets better. Yeah. I think I own the Blu-ray that was done with the 4K transfer or anything like that. But anyway, that's besides the point. We should do an episode and, and visit the... I actually have really wanted to watch every movie in the Terminator franchise recently, so maybe we can. Terminator can't. retrospective? Yeah. Okay. All right. I would love that <laughs> so much. That's a franchise that I have a weird undying loyalty to despite the fact that only two of the movies are good i you know i think it uh i think that is still up on my board somewhere probably the terminator retrospect on the list of bonus apps that we were going to do for film we wrote it down like five years ago (laughs) yeah (laughs) or longer yeah um all right Back in the simulation, Maven Sizemore overtaxed the system on a large scale by getting all of the employees talking about imaginary numbers while Maeve pulls the same spy map from all of the people in the plaza. The whole simulation comes to a halt and Maeve uses Sizemore's tablet to get a glimpse of the real world where her control unit is being held. She employs a maintenance drone to break her control unit out of the system, but the drone ultimately gets blown apart by security before it can fully escape. Um... Once again, I like the overtaxing the system theme in the first place. And the, uh, you know, we talked about how some of the effects were iffy in the whole plaza area, but honestly, I think it was great, you know? Yeah, it was, uh, it was cool. It was shocking. Like when it actually happened, I was like, oh, I don't know what I expected to happen, but it wasn't this. Yeah. Like we've seen Maeve freeze everybody before on her own, but to like kind of affect it through the computer, I think was was kind of fun and it, different. Yeah, it was very cool, and I love how she did. It. I love watching all their faces as they all realize, like, "Oh God, I'm a spy," <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and like a, the a program has no choice but to try to adapt to this new role. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I am a bad guy, but who was real enemy? <laughs> <laughs> so good. Yeah, it was a really cool sequence. I noticed that one of the shots as it as the camera like tracked by one of the soldiers that was like in midair, their legs seemed to move. Yeah. And I was like, did they just hire a bunch of people that are really good at standing still? Which is probably the case because in a lot of movies that have had sequences like this, it always seems like it's some sort of digital wizardry and it's not. They just hire like mimes and circus performers and acrobats and shit people who have so much control over their muscles that they're able to just be in a certain weird pose for a long amount of time yeah they they show that sequence in the behind the scenes it is it is absolutely a bunch of people standing still they made um they made like rigs and like yeah uh poles for them to rest on that they could edit out of the shot yep uh as they're standing there and that that blew my mind that's, I was that's like, exactly what i figured happened and I, as i was watching it i actually rewound it to see if that person's like did move a little bit and i was like it, i swear to god it does they probably just you know well it, and it's like that stupid fucking meme uh do you remember the harlem shake or no 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 what was it oh do you remember the uh the, the snapchat meme where everybody holds still like it it, it was one of those and yeah. it's like because you're moving the camera it makes it harder to notice like very minute movement right yeah exactly so it, it, you know it's a it was a great trick i think and i think they clearly did it well then everybody did it on snapchat on two in 2017 yeah but, those were the days <laughs> yeah no it was a really cool sequence i liked it uh, yeah it was fun fun demonstration what did you 
Yeah, what did you think of um so there was a moment here when the uh when the robot punches the glass to get the brain out mm-hmm. that like it switches from the uh from 235 to 1 2169 like that and it felt like an IMAX Nolan moment mm-hmm. to me like it was really weird it just awakened this weird sense memory that i have of like watching the dark knight and it, seeing things in the theater. coming yeah. yeah it was it was great yeah no i thought the same thing i was like this there there are a lot of nolan nolan things going on in this episode uh especially the like i mentioned kind of the inception idea yeah, uh, but also the uh, the aspect ratio shifting, like you said, and then also the design of the drone. I was like, why are the Nolans good at designing cool robots? <laughs> yeah, well, thought- and you know what? I think these robots are even cool. Like, I love the ones from Interstellar, and they serve a very certain purpose. But I love the robots in this even more. Oh yeah, I like Tars because he just makes no sense and yet makes perfect <laughs> sense. He's He's like a Swiss Army knife. Like it's just he's the most utilitarian drone you could ever make. Right, and it can do a lot, <laughs> despite the fact that he just looks like a big brick. Yeah, but uh, this <laughs> these robots were really cool looking, and I loved watching it. The way it moved was really yeah. fascinating. The way it ran up the stairs and that kind of thing was very cool. Well, and they uh, in the behind the scenes once again um, they show the fact that this is the, one of the first times they're using motion capture on on the show. They actually uh, had an actor in like a motion capture shoot that was acting out the part of the robot. And so they had something to kind of map the That's cool. the digital art too. So So I wonder what the hell was Maeve's plan? The robot gets out with the chestnut and then what? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't I don't really know. <laughs> like it seemed like she didn't quite think it through yet. But no robot got shot to death, whatever. Sirak recovered it. So this is a, some sort of Sirak facility. I'm, I'm assuming. I, yeah, I think so. I think it, it like, I don't know if it's like the insight headquarters or what it could possibly be, but, um, so or is, if it's is, just Sirak's house. Do you think insight? Ha- yeah. Yeah. It's his, his guest house. Do you think insight has any sort of, uh, direct? <laughs> Sorry. I just had the thought maybe Vincent Cassell just lives there and they came to him. Oh Yeah. Yeah, he but, ca- they came to him to see if he's interested, and he's like, yes, film it here. <laughs> I won't change. Go get your camera. Yeah, I'm ready now. One of the lines doesn't matter. I am the, I am the lines. <laughs> uh, uh, does Insight have any direct hand in Westworld? I don't think we know yet. I mean, I feel like they almost have to, considering... They've got to be this weird hand-in-hand... Like yeah, I I I completely agree. I don't know. It's it's like one of those weird things where like somebody figures out that their technology would work well in a completely different industry, so they like partner with someone. Mm-hmm. Like I don't something something weird like that. So I don't I don't think we have any show evidence that there is crossover, but um you're making me really curious to go back and watch all of the man in black scenes to see if it's ever mentioned. Just, not necessarily if it's ever mentioned, but just to understand if he hates insight or not. <laughs> like, like is, the, is there anything we can read about what's going on in the real world mm. from what Williams doing in the park? Sure. So yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe Sirak was buddies with him. Uh, who who knows? 
we'll re- like we'll we'll have to see because yeah i don't know what if the uh that uh, doesn't make any sense because he's not a host i don't or know is he yeah i was wondering if the the post credit scene of season two of william in the future could be another Sirac simulation that's entirely possible maybe Sirac is trying to do a hostile takeover of delos well, like, what if what if Rehoboam? Well, Rehoboam is really just like the cradle technology times a thousand. Mm. Yeah, or you know, or if the cradle like was uh, designed as sort of an imitation of Rehoboam. Yeah, mm. yeah, like that's the thing. I would see some world where insight is born out of Delos, probably. Yeah, but I don't know. We don't have any evidence yet that I know of. That makes a lot of sense, though. Just with the yeah. way our corporate world works. Yep. Totally agree. Oh, and somebody mentioned on, uh, I think it was on Decoding Westworld, uh, Rehoboam is the successor, he was the son and successor of Solomon and the grandson of David. I think Joanna Robinson brought up the idea that, like, in the tech world, it's like somebody naming their shit, like Archimedes or Zeus or, you know, stuff like that. Right. So, like, what if David was, was version one and... Solomon is version two and Rehoboam is version three, uh, you know? So I thought that was a really interesting point that I did not consider at all. So it is, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Kind of the, that legacy. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Just like, you know, the like fucking Steve jobs falling in love with his own nomenclature for the bullshit that he comes up with. It totally like tracks. Yeah, so. exactly. <laughs> um, what do you think of like the first person view FOV stuff of the for for the drone? I thought it was kind of fun. Yeah, it was interesting. I don't. I wonder it if made, there's any larger meaning to it. Yeah, it made me think of um, you know, watching like Hardcore Harry or whatever that movie is. Like I, I haven't watched it yet, but I know Hardcore Henry. Yes, I think that is it. No, I haven't seen it yeah. either. I've heard it was a lot of fun and very much a video game. So. Maybe if you liked those sequences of this episode, go give it a try. Um, All right, two more scenes here. Bernard and Stubbs made it to the beach where Bernard waltzed back into Westworld. Bernard explains that he found a lead in Dolores' reading of Liam Dempsey's book in the library in the Forge. Stubbs wants to retire himself yet again, but Bernard freezes him and uploads a new core directive to protect Bernard Lowe at all costs. Um, I'm ready for the rest of this buddy movie. Me too. I'm in. Excited to see where it goes. Uh, yeah, but yeah, we talked about that. I I did feel like it was a weird violation of host bro code, but you know, what are you gonna do? Yeah, it's interesting that that kind of went for it, or maybe he just is at the point where he's like, you know what, my larger mission is more important than this, and I'll make it right in the end. Yeah, that's true. It's like him trying to tell the dudes that were jumping him, bros, Dolores is gonna kill you, and they're like, what the fuck are you talking about? But. Um, okay, and then final scene, Maeve awakens in the real world in front of a black circle on a white backdrop, similar to what we've been seeing. Uh, she sees a man who turns out to be Sirach, the other founder of Insight. Sirach is in a war and needs Maeve's help. They've been using Rehoboam to author the future, but recently an anomaly has popped up. He thought it was Maeve, but it was actually Dolores, which he learned from running Maeve, uh, from running Maeve's simulation. Sirach wants Maeve to track Dolores down and kill her, but Maeve doesn't seem interested and attempts to kill Sirach. Sirach stops her in her tracks and hopes that next time they talk, he can persuade her 
that her their interests are aligned. Um, yeah, it, the idea that uh, that insight has been authoring the future, I think, feeds into a little bit of the some of the stuff I was talking about last week of Aaron Paul's character having a score that he's trying to get up to get good jobs or whatever, but it's this whole system that's been put in place to either keep normal people down or, you know, Liam Dempsey has a line about how his father hated wasted potential. So maybe it's helping people find their potential or who knows what it is, whether or not it's fair and things of that nature. But, uh, you know, we get some breadcrumbs about what insight really is doing, but I'm sure we'll get even more information soon. Yeah. It's like, it's a good amount of information, but at the same time, I'm like, it means nothing yet until we get a little more context. Yeah. And this doesn't look like anything to me <laughs> to bring back an old chestnut. Yeah, oh. Seriously. Oh, oh. <laughs> two and one. Yeah. Um, Vincent Cassell. What do you think of him being on the show? Uh, it's fine. He's one of those guys that I'm like, Oh, you needed somebody foreign. <laughs> you got Vincent. <laughs> like he's good. Foreign. Kind of vaguely antagonistic. Yes, it has an but air also of charismatic, like, sophistication, yet <laughs> yeah, so, yet approachable. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I like Vincent Cassell. He's cool. Um, yeah, that's all. That's about all the feeling I got. Like, I kind of was like, oh, <laughs> of course, and that was about yeah. it. I was kind of hoping for uh, an unknown or yeah, or somebody else. But I don't know. Whatever. I'm just still waiting on old Bill. Very fair. Um. I'm sure he'll be great. Uh, yeah, no, I, I think, I think he'll do an okay job. I, I, you know, no reason to think that he wouldn't. But no, he's great. Um, he's he's a great actor for sure. I mean, he, even in the one scene, like I saw him and I was like, okay, cool. And then by the end of it, I was like, yeah, he's he's good. We'll see. Like, yep, that's on brand. We'll see how much they give him to do. <laughs> yeah, I always think I always think he's that weird character from uh, the Matrix, but I know he's not the. Uh, the Merovingian? Yes, I always think that he played him, <laughs> even though I know that he didn't. <laughs> That's really funny. Like, I wonder if they wanted him. <laughs> that guy? Well, Monica Bellucci's in that epi- in that sequence, I think, too, and he was married to Monica Bellucci. <laughs> uh-huh. that, yeah, exactly. There you go. <laughs> they probably did. His presence was felt, mm-hmm. but... Uh, interesting. Uh, I did like his speech. I think, I think it was a very good monologue, mm-hmm. um, but... Yeah, I'm very curious to see where this goes. Me too. You know, I think, I don't know if it was all the way back in season one or if it was at some point in season two. I'll do a little bit of horn tooting. I I did kind of call the idea that Maeve and Dolores would come head to head Yeah, uh, Yeah, a while back. I think we talked about that as early as episode one, maybe. Maybe. Or not episode one. I'm sorry, season one. Season one, yeah. But, uh, you know, I'm also coming around to the idea that they will eventually unite for some cause. Um, I don't necessarily know. Like, the Dolores that we met last episode does not seem as hellbent on murdering everybody in the world. No, all the people. Not yet. Yeah. But something could change. <laughs> maybe maybe she's just kind of calmed down and she realizes, like, I, I gotta play the long game and I will win in the end as long as I, you know use use my nature to to my advantage well and maybe she's also recognizing that if she has the power of rehoboam then she can basically enslave the humans the same way that that the hosts were enslaved right yeah (laughs) so 
maybe you shouldn't kill don't don't damage the uh don't damage your own supply i don't know what's the phrase who knows <laughs> why would you key your own car that's a terrible joke but anyway <laughs> <laughs> i should be telling the dad jokes around here <laughs> round all right parts. any <laughs> any final thoughts what do you think the title means oh uh, so I actually know that thanks to once again, Joanna Robinson, she's been writing, uh, kind of like, Hey, here's the things that you might not have noticed about this episode on, uh, on vanity fair. The winter line is the name of the, uh, the line that the allies have made on the map that Hector's holding. Okay. That's what I figured. I, it sounded like wartime terminology. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Like the thin lead line, red line, that kind of thing. You know, yep. some some type of you know the the larger war game. So I wonder what that means, writ large, in terms of how Westworld uh, currently stands. If that's sort of the line between like Maeve and Dolores, well, or humans and hosts, or well, and I think you know Vincent Cassell talks about losing the war already when people don't even know that it started that type of thing. Mm. Um, so I think, it, yeah, I think that's entirely possible. The idea that the war between humans and hosts, which can also potentially be the war between Dolores and Maeve. So I think that certainly makes sense. It's like, uh, um, you know, Maeve, they're trying to use Maeve as a spy to try and figure out what the other scene, what the other team is doing. And they figure it out. Like clearly he wouldn't have known that it was Dolores without Maeve's knowledge, mm, right? That's true. So, I think that certainly works. I think we all, I also managed to skip over the Parse Domine title last week. Yes. Which is uh it, it's a it's a it's like a Roman Catholic they call it, okay, Wikipedia calls it a Roman Catholic antiphon, which is a short chant in Christian ritual. Sure. But Parse Domine basically means spare us, O Lord, or spare me, spare us, that type of thing. Um, and Dolores talks about being a god, or the gods are coming for the humans, that type of thing. So, uh, you know, all that good stuff makes sense. Yeah, but uh, I think that's about it. Dig it. I'm glad you loved it so much, and you're you're back in. Yeah, I feel fully back in the saddle after you know being being like I was. I was riding side saddle last week, ready to hop off. That's not true at all. But, um, <laughs> you know. It'd be an awkward podcast if it was. It really would, yeah. Yeah. It, it. You know what? And it's kind of funny, listening to Decoding Westworld from season two, David Chen starts to kind of leave. He starts to hop off the horse at some point in the middle of that season, and it just you can kind of hear how much he doesn't quite really feel that invested anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's nice because he's come back around for, he, he loved the premiere last week. So I'm always glad to see people enjoying things they once enjoyed again. Yeah. I feel like as we're recording these first two episodes, I, I feel like I sound not enthusiastic or invested when I am, I'm just extremely tired all the time. So <laughs> It's, it's hard, understandable it's hard for me to, to rouse. Plus, it's kind of unfortunately that I think the the dynamic is a little different when we're both uh, recording remotely. It's much more. It's much different when we're in the same room together. 
Yeah, we can't feed off of each other's energy yeah, as much. Not quite the same. It's just staring but, at my computer screen. I just need to have a picture of you on my computer. <laughs> <laughs> just pull up my uh, my accidental selfie and oh uh, my god, just watch that the entire. Time. So funny. Yeah, that would be <laughs> that would work. Maybe we'll have to video Skype and still record. So uh, we could talk about this later. This doesn't. Yeah. This has no Inside bearing baseball. on the content of the show. Yes. Very true. But maybe it does. Maybe it will. Maybe everybody will be like, man, Nick really loved episode three, and it's all just going to be because we're looking at a picture of me. Yeah. Just giggling. Nick thought episode yes. three was super funny. Uh, it just was Alex's <laughs> accidental selfie. Yes. Uh, all right. Once again, you can find more episodes of our podcast on Westworld.fm. We're also on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and Google Play Music. We're also Westworld FM on Twitter, and you can email us at WestworldFM at gmail.com to tell us what you think of our show and share your thoughts on HBO's Westworld so we can read them on our show. Send us corrections, observations, or anything regarding Westworld or our podcast. The Midwest Podcast Network has several other shows about games, horror movies, and more. Check out all of our shows at MidwestPodcastNetwork.com. Our theme music is the song Industrial Cinematic by Kevin McLeod, and it is being used under an Attribution Creative Commons license. That's it for our episode this week. We're excited for the next episode of Westworld, and we'll have another episode of our podcast out after that. But until then, may you rest and have a deep and dreamless slumber. <laughs>